violence in movies to higher levels of aggression and violent behavior. Recognizing that many children love violent movies. So motherfuckers are always trying to escape. Take a look around! Dodge this. Welcome back to Take a Look Around. We're here with you on the spookiest day of the year, October 26th. Ah! Al, are you as terrified as I am? That's, uh, man, I'm terrified. Uh, It's the witching hour. It's All Hallows Eve, 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 Eve. It really is the scariest day of the year when you think about it. it. It's the exact date. Of the scariest day of the year, <laughs> which is, of course, October 26th. That's right. Tuesday, October 26th. It's funny that we're going to be talking about a franchise that is so kind of entrenched in the idea that Halloween is the scariest day of the year, and yet nobody is flocking to the cinemas to see my film, October 26th. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's a tragedy. It's a true crime. <laughs> Starring Casper Van Dien and Denise Richards. Al, how have you been preparing for the spooky season? What have you been doing to get in the mood? Uh, I've been watching a lot of horror movies and eating heaps of candy and uh, wearing black. So, you know. Uh, same old, wh- same old. Same old, same old. That's right. Every day's Halloween for me, buddy. <laughs> what about you? I've been uh, watching the Treehouse of Horrors one a day since October started, and I've managed to make it to uh, season 18 of The Simpsons, where I was absolutely blown away by a Mr. and Mrs. Smith parody. Holy shit. I remember that one. Yeah, sure. Fucking hell. It killed... The whole debacle, it, it killed it for me. I couldn't possibly move right. on. So that's what that's what put the brakes on it for you, the yeah, Mr. I think, Mr. Smith? Yeah, I think season 18 is probably, if you were forced to like watch it at gunpoint, that'd be the moment you turn the gun on yourself. Sure, sure. See, I'm the opposite, Sean. I really think The Simpsons is uh, just hitting its peak. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting a second wind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's, I've actually kind of seen like on Twitter that a whole bunch of people are like super stoked that they've gotten writing gigs on the Simpsons. And it's just kind of like, are you watching the same show that <laughs> has been on? Like we're 20 years deep in this point. Like, why are you excited? <laughs> if anything, this seems like a death letter. <laughs> but, um, no, nah, man, kudos to you for sticking to 18 Treehouses of Horror. I mean, what's your favorite Treehouse of Horror sketch so far? Uh, the, the Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, parody with Willie. That's, that's right. Lousy smudge weather. <laughs> yeah. That's phenomenal. And genuinely frightening at times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? Get us with your skeleton powers? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't know. I remember the Raven one as a little kid and that fucking terrified me. The, the Bart as Edgar Allan Poe. Um, do you remember that one? I think it's like yeah. one of the first ones. It is one of the first ones. The The early ones are genuinely terrifying. Like, yeah. They're, they're vicious and violent in a way that, I don't know, the movie parodies of everything from season 15 onwards just couldn't grasp. Mm, totally. I, I think it ruined a lot of horror movies for me as well. I didn't see The Shining until I was like maybe 21 or something. And, and you're like, oh, that's where the blood gets off. Yeah, 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 exactly, right? It was just this like, oh, I, I don't find this film as terrifying because I've got the whole riff in my head. 
Also, very close friends of the show may know that I have a Hugo from Treehouse of Horror, what, episode 7 or 8 or something? something uh, Bart, like Bart's evil twin brother tattooed onto my leg. We love the <laughs> Treehouse of Horror in this Treehouse of Horror. <laughs> and talking about Treehouses of Horror, boy, have we got a very rare new movie to talk about. I think the last one we talked about was, was it Land of the Dead? Uh, yeah, Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead, that's right. But this, this is this is going to be a similar episode to that mm. sterling earlier one, <laughs> where we juxtapose uh, two films back to back, something no podcast has ever done before. No, no. no film podcast based no. out of Sydney, Australia. <laughs> We're going to totally reboot the way that movies are reviewed <laughs> on podcasts. Uh, should we talk about it? Halloween Kills? Halloween Kills by David Gordon Green. Hey, what are you guys doing out here? It's Halloween. We've been trick-or-treating. Are you alone? There's a creepy man in a white mask. Where? And he keeps, like, trying to play hide-and-seek with us. Where did you see him? Look! Run! Go home now! set the fire. No one told you. <gasps> told me what? Michael Myers is alive. A man couldn't have survived that fire. Forty years ago, the boogeyman came for us. We are the survivors of Michael Myers. Lori, what do we do? We fight. Mom, our family. We'll kill him. We're gonna hunt him down and we're gonna put an end to this. He is not gonna stop killing until we stop him. If you track Michael's victims, that's a straight line to Michael's childhood home. Someone's in our house. He is coming for me, but I'm coming for him. Shawnee, did you like 2018's uh, Halloween? I thought it was super serviceable. Yeah. Uh, I am, full disclosure, just an absolute super fiend for anything that Danny McBride touches. Mm. Yeah, uh, Especially his work with David Gordon Green and Jody Hill. Yeah. Everything from uh, Eastbound and Down, uh, Vice Principals, mm. Pineapple Express, the, mm. and my all-time favorite of everything they've done, The Righteous Gemstones. Truly one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. We are so close to a Righteous Gemstone season two, people. We are they, so close. As we speak right now, they're posting shit on Instagram about how it's just about to come out, and I can't wait. We have a summer of laughs lined up. We've got Succession, Curb, Righteous Gemstones, like... 
TV's good again, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All things considered with Danny McBride, you love him. Like you enjoy his oeuvre. You you lo- you really dug his his work on Halloween. I think that his Halloween um reboot from 2018 is towards the bottom of my interest in Danny McBride, which is insane because do you remember how you felt like learning that Danny McBride was going to be rebooting Halloween with John Carpenter along for the ride? Like you were just yeah. It was just like, oh my god, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This Adlin machine's broken, but I like the result. It's, yeah, and like, I didn't, uh, like, you know, from the onset, Danny McBride was like, yes, it will have funny moments. Because, you know, sometimes horror movies need, like, funny Levity. moments. Levity, exactly. But uh, make no mistake, I'm making this, like, a fucked up horror movie. And it's going to be, like, a direct sequel rather than a weird reboot or... You know, it was like the, I think our friends at Totally, a Total Reboot would uh, call it a legacy sequel where it's like a soft reboot, but also a sequel at the same time. Uh, How about a legacy sequel like Lady. Ghostbusters? Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Halloween is a franchise about the girl boss in many ways. Uh, so yeah, you liked it. Sean, what is your impression on 2021's Halloween Kills? A film that I was personally very excited for. Yeah, I was ready to go to the cinema to watch this one, mm. but uh, I'm glad that I didn't pay money for this because, P.U., what a fucking stinker. This yeah. is an overwrought, underridden mess, like just, uh, sorry, undercooked mess. This It's yeah. overwritten, if anything. Yeah. Oh my God, the dialogue in this, P.U. Evil ends tonight. <laughs> What's the, the chant that the town does? Evil e- dies tonight. Evil, Evil dies, dies tonight. tonight. That's right. This is close. Like, I'm glad that I watched this, like, this later seasons of Treehouse of Horror before watching this because this is what it feels like. Hmm. It feels like uh, a parody or like a seven-year-old's retelling of what was originally like a a fantastic piece of work Mm, absolutely if look i'm gonna just say this now if you still want to watch this film uh we're gonna probably go a bit into spoiler territory so maybe skip ahead for three minutes uh but i'm gonna go into spoiler territory right now spoiler warning uh as you said this film is an overwritten mess uh it really feels like a dlc in parts at the start we're introduced to a whole new group of characters who are uh not the expansion like, pack the expansion <laughs> pack exactly laurie strode is not in the film at all like i think jamie lee curtis's only scenes are from a hospital bed and they're not until like 45 minutes into the movie <laughs> i love the idea of her getting the script and being like you're telling me that I'm lying down the whole time? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Show me the money. <laughs> <laughs> so this starts directly after Halloween. And uh, we're talking like 45 seconds, maybe 15 seconds after the events of 2018's yeah. one. And Which, if The Quiet Place Part 2 taught us anything, it doesn't work, people. You, A sequel needs to expand on and give a reason for existing. It can't just be mm. a continuation of the film 10 seconds later yeah and that's definitely what makes this fucking movie 
just suck from the get-go. Like, it really takes out any... And, I mean, they already confirmed a threequel, so, like, there are no stakes in this film whatsoever. It is just, like, a compilation of Michael Myers just killing townsfolk. Have uh, you seen any of the press releases for the threequel, Halloween Ends? No, I haven't. Apparently, it will address the COVID-19 pandemic and will have uh, set four years later with groovy Mike Myers himself navigating today's political world. (laughs) Well, that's the other thing about this film. So, the whole town riots against Michael Myers. They're fucking sick of living in fear in Haddonfield, Illinois. And there's a scene where they storm a hospital and I couldn't help but feel like it was a really lazy commentary on the January 6th riots uh, about like the townspeople finally being like, the inefficiency of bureaucracy must be stopped. We, the people, must seize control again and get rid of the boogeyman. Uh, And it just feels like a fucking, it's a mess. This film is a legitimate boring mess <laughs> the, the main character is anthony michael hall of the breakfast club yeah fame, it's so playing, weird he's playing uh the grown-up version of the little boy that jamie lee curtis was uh babysitting in halloween mm. who uh they've done this same plot before in a halloween sequel uh with paul rudd uh, oh pre- yeah pre, like just after clueless paul rudd playing tommy and apparently he was approached to reprise the role but signed on for ghostbusters afterlife can't say no to the muncher no oh yeah muncher man <laughs> we over here love muncher this is a muncher podcast this film doesn't so much end as it just uh literally nothing really happens like at the end judy greer's character i can't even remember she plays laurie strode's daughter uh gets stabbed to death and we see michael looking through the window again there's a whole lot of you know exposition about michael's looking through the window but actually looking at his reflection and he's the house or something i don't know it uh the calls are coming from inside the house exactly uh (laughs) There's been some criticism of this film recently as well that's kind of insane about, like, how... Homophobia? Homophobia and racist, and it's just, like, I don't see that. And also, like, this is what you're taking umbrage with? Like, the man who's chopping off people's heads is... For 40 straight years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, suddenly... uh, a mass murderer isn't work anymore. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> insane to me. Um, the, I think this the sequence that they they're taking umbrage with is the bit that probably is the most Danny McBride out of anything that these two films have done, mm. where the film slows down to what is like a snail's pace so that we can watch Scotty from Righteous Gemstones and his boyfriend, who are named Big John and Little John, wander around their house with golf clubs, yelling out, Big John, Little John, (laughs) over and over before they're both exterminated by Michael Myers. It takes about... 12 minutes and it's a large chunk of the film this film really has pacing issues um sean how many uh bodies have hit the floor for you for this one i think this is clocking out at a whopping two bodies hitting the Mm, floor for me it took me three sittings to get through and it looks great yeah Uh, the kills are fucking awesome 
like the like, gore rules. Yeah, we get like moments of like someone getting stabbed with a fiberglass pipe where their death gurgle reverberates throughout the pipe. Yeah. <laughs> that absolutely ridiculous sequence with that car door like kicks into the woman and she blows her own brains out. Yeah. Like yeah, there's yeah. some great <laughs> kills in this, but it's just not a very good film that barely justifies its own existence. Totally, man. I'm going to have to go with two as well. I was very disappointed with this film. Um, it just kind of felt like a haze. Like I, I watched this entirely straight at my mom and dad's house. I had nothing to do. Uh, and I, I just... I, there are parts that I just don't remember. Like it, it really is quite a boring movie. <laughs> um, talking about soft reboots or hard reboots, should we talk about this week's new metal movie, Rub Zombies Halloween? Tonight's brutal murders was described by police as Manson-like in its viciousness. Three people brutally murdered and a ten-year-old boy being held. You haven't said a word for 15 years. This summer, Rob Zombie unleashes a unique vision of a legendary tale. Listen, be careful tonight. A lot of nutcases come out on Halloween. Is the boogeyman real? Why are you so obsessed with the boogeyman, Tommy? Halloween night, the boogeyman attacks kids you don't believe. Oh no, Tommy! Boogeyman's gonna get me! I'm gonna cut that mask right off your face. He's come back for his baby sister. To do what? Harvey Weinstein's Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) So, Al, would you say that... uh, Which of the big horror franchises would you say is the most new metal? Keeping in mind that Freddy vs. Jason got a genuine new metal movie. Hmm. Well, I would say that perhaps... Ooh, that's a good question. How, how franchises? I mean, Jason X is pretty new metal when you think about it. It looks like shit, and it's set in space, and everyone has lip rings. Uh, yeah, but for I sure. mean, Halloween, I guess maybe. I mean, the H two O and uh, Halloween Resurrection are pretty new metal, I suppose. Super duper, and I think out of all of the franchises, Michael Myers has probably the most in common with the new metal ethos in that mm. he's just a bad kid. Yeah. Yeah. Jason is tied up in all this like mythology around his mother and sexuality, but Michael Myers is just 
a bad fucking little boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's just just this uh, little kid from Midwest America who is just a vessel of evil due to his lack of <laughs> empathy because of fucking the neglect and the failures of America. <laughs> like he definitely, yeah. I think he is just a rotten little egg and. Boy, have these movies proven that. (laughs) (laughs) Al, do you remember when this film first came out? I would have been about 16. Were you excited for it? Um, I think I... I think maybe at this point I was probably horror movie remake fatigued. We had um, a new nightmare maybe five or three... Maybe five or four years prior. Friday the 13th. I think the only one of those remakes that I saw was the one that kicked it all off with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think by this point, I was probably pretty skeptical. And I certainly, at that age, was definitely like maybe a bit cringy about my like dalliances with new metal as a child and oh yeah for sure i was like oh, a rob zombie film tell me when gang of four remade <laughs> yeah, halloween yeah, 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 exactly <laughs> but like at this point i still really liked um i still love like we've talked about this before like house of a thousand corpses is one of my favorite horror movies of all time so i had a little bit of goodwill squirreled away but uh no i was i, I wouldn't say i was excited for this movie but i don't know what about you sean were you like Kane, I um around this time, I think sixteen or seventeen, I completely started to shun any blockbuster horror franchise and just became obsessed with indie films. This would be, I think, the same year as House of the Devil by Ty West, and it was just yeah. like such a fucking amazing time for like independent horror movies mm, and more art housey totally. stuff. And so I missed a lot of this stuff. I missed a lot of the Saw sequels, Hostel, this kind of stuff, which is really stuff that I've kind of uh, watched as an adult and become more interested in. So this would be actually a first watch for me. Okay, wow. This Halloween. So I was pretty excited for today's episode. Yeah, great. Uh, I watched it when it came out and I really dug it, surprisingly. Um, and I was pretty eager for the sequel, which I don't know if we'll cover. Like, I, I, I mean, I don't want to say it's a new metal movie, and I, it's not a very good Halloween movie either. It has a lot of fans on Letterboxd and around yeah. the internet. There's been this massive big push to say that Rob Zombie's Halloween sequel is the definitive Halloween movie since That's the original. Maybe I should rewatch it because, like, I rewatched pretty much all of them before Halloween. 2018 came out and but i'm fairly certain i just no number two turns out laurie's also an evil serial killer deep down and it's some weird fam i don't know i can't remember fuck um but this film 2007's halloween i remember really enjoying it i enjoyed it on rewatch and uh on this rewatch i think i also enjoyed it should we kind of talk about how it kind of revises and thickens the plot, I suppose. Yeah. So if you're unfamiliar with uh, Halloween as a, as a franchise or as a story, first of all, what have you been doing for the last 20 minutes listening to us? <laughs> and second of all, basically the broad strokes, um, a babysitter is uh, attacked by a man wearing a, a scary white a mute man in a scary white mask 
who is the embodiment of human evil on Halloween 1978. It's pretty much the definitive slasher film. It kicked off everything. Mm. Uh, the broad strokes are is that there is no backstory to Michael Myers, and that's what made him so terrifying. Yeah. We get glimpses at this idea that he is evil incarnate, but never so much as a backstory, which is why Rob Zombie's interpretation of the film is so polarizing because it finally gives Michael Myers a backstory. And I'm not talking about like. This is a solid hour of exposition before Michael actually grows up and escapes jail. Uh, I guess it kind of reimagines uh, Michael Myers as white trash rather than just some weird little kid. Uh, well, this is a Rob Zombie film, so we get some hellbilly deluxe, yeah. like <laughs> 10 seconds into the film. The opening two and a half minutes of this film are just the most, like... <laughs> I, I cannot think of a more polarizing opening to any film I've seen in the past year mm. as William Forsyth and Sherry Moon Zombie trade insults back and forth at each other. I've never heard just... <laughs> what is it William Forsyth says to her 30 seconds in? I will crawl across the floor and skull fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's... it's it. There's like a... I think there's a beautiful crassness to a lot of Rob Zombie's writing that kind of is very similar to Danny McBride's where it is just this very verbose but also really disgusting and common kind of, you know, just grubby fucking insults that are very creative. Uh, Sherry Moon Zombie is really good as Mike Myers' mum as just this kind of... They've reimagined her as this uh, down-on-her-luck stripper whose boyfriend is just this alcoholic scumbag who just spends his fucking free time and all of his time just getting shit hammered and wailing on michael myers who is this fat little weird kid who looks kind of like an angel a cherub did uh, you know a kid that looked like michael myers and this, everyone knew every, a kid uh, everyone knew a kid with like children of the corn haircut and a and like a weird upbringing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you don't know that kid, then you are that kid. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, we're just treated to watching little Michael. His life, it's a sucks. shithole. Yeah, it sucks. Like, he's getting he's bullied. bullied by, he's bullied by bullies. He's bullied by his stepfather. He's bullied by his sister. He's bullied by his mother. Yeah. Life sucks for Michael. And, I mean, his only way of really coping with everything is to torture and kill small animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, this was a point that Peter really, uh, as in the people's ethical treatment of animals, were really... Um, Peter. <laughs> Peter. Uh, they yeah. gave... Uh, this is where Eric Banner's character from Full Frontal really took umbrage with the movie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, like, gave this film, like, Animal Rights Movie of the Year because it displayed... Uh, what's he killing small animals as like a psychopathic thing and how they how this film really underlines that cruelty to animals is like a uh is the trait of evil people uh eventually i guess as all serial killers do michael works his way up from little animals to little people and starts kind of he kills his school bully whilst wearing a really crappy clown mask which once again is a huge reminder you're watching a fucking Rob Zombie movie when you're getting killed by an evil clown. <laughs> oh, for sure. The um, 
what's it called? Uh, my girlfriend pointed out to me that his portrayal of bullies in this is probably the most uh, accurate portrayal of a school bully that she could think of. Mm. Like the, he really knows how to write mean children i feel like rob zombie was bullied a lot as a kid wait are you saying the weird guy who really likes <laughs> horror movies <laughs> dresses like a hillbilly despite coming from upstate new york might have gotten bullied. <laughs> um before we move on any further like we are talking a lot about rob zombie's style of filmmaking and i think it's important to point out why we cover rob zombie films on this podcast because they do like aren't they aren't necessarily so much new metal films in the way that dracula 2000 or mm. Uh, the Matrix is a new metal film, but that's really where like we can draw the line that there's really two kinds of new metal films, and there's two kinds of new metal. Like for every um, clean cut kind of corn uh, and limp biscuit and Deftones movie, you get a much grimier kind of new metal film with things like Saw, mm. House of Wax, mm. you know, House of a Thousand Corpses, and the Rob Zombie films. These are the Slipknots, the Coal Chambers, yeah. the Mud Veins. Devil Driver, for sure, man. Yeah. Um, these are the grimy, the gritty, the like, the B-tiers. And you know what's really gritty? Malcolm McDowell's wig. Malcolm McDowell is... I love his, like, 90s heartthrob wig. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he fucking kills. So he's he's recast... They've recast Donald Pleasant's uh, Dr. Samuel Loomis as, with uh, Malcolm McDowell. And I would say he is probably the highlight of the movie for me. This movie has a stacked fucking cast, by the way. There's Are you going to say Mickey Doolittle? <laughs> yeah, yeah, from the monkeys. I legitimately like... Was he the principal? No, he was the gun shop owner. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. Makes sense. Literally, like, my phone was across the room, and as soon as I saw Mickey Dolans, I literally just leapt, like, someone <laughs> jumping from an explosion to message Sean. Oh, my God, the guy from Mickey Dolans from the Monkees is in this movie. I'm going to text the one person that Who won't I care. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, as soon as I hit send, I was like, oh, wait, Sean's going to hate that. <laughs> but Malcolm McDowell... Once again, Brad Dorif is Brad in this. Dorif, yeah, yeah. I thought it was Clint Howard for a while, but um, he is. No, we get Clint Howard and Brad Dorif in the movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a stacked cast. Udo uh, Kia from Blade yeah, yeah, and the Corn Make Me Bad video clip. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um. Yeah, dude. Everyone rocks, and like, I I feel like there are no really bad actors, like, or at least bad casting choices in this film. I think there is. Whoever okay. they got to play Laurie Strode is no Jamie Lee Curtis, that's for sure. Yeah, I guess it's big shoes to fill. Uh, but um, yeah, so they, they really explain like the origin of uh, of Michael, Michael Myers' Man. evil. And from what I could gather, especially with them portraying Samuel Loomis as this really sympathetic guy who just wants to understand how this child could have committed such evil acts, they really depict this relationship uh something that occurs you know 20 years is done in 20 seconds or something and they've really shown how this relationship has had such a negative impact on dr loomis's life and has become this professional white elephant for him or a white whale where 
you know, it's just so close, but he can never catch the thing. Like it's always just getting through his fingers. And it really, these scenes kind of really um, illustrate how Michael Myers has shut himself off completely from the world, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, But it also kind of, it shows his, why he's obsessed with going back to the home, which, you know, a child is just upset about being removed from his family home, but it's become this obsession for him over the years. And that's, you know, it explains why Michael Myers comes home on Halloween, you know, uh, which I thought was really kind of cool. I love this opening hour. Like I was reading reviews for the film and people hate it. They can't stand it. Well, I thought this was particularly lame where they explain Michael Myers shutting himself off from the world because Danny Trejo as the friendly janitor is like, hey man, I did time in jail. What you got to do is you got to go inwards, man. You got to find what's going on inside your head and you got to just shut the world out, dude. <laughs> Reminded me of Chris Hemsworth in Black Hat. I don't do their time. I do my time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Danny Trejo is kind of portrayed as maybe, aside from Dr. Loomis and Michael Myers' mom as the only person who um, has any kind of sympathy towards Michael Myers, whilst everyone thinks he's this this big galoot who uh, is maybe, you know, they make a lot of references to potentially Michael Myers having some kind of learning difficulties or a mild intellectual disability. Um, And a KISS t-shirt. And a KISS t-shirt. Yeah, all hand in hand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I thought Danny Trejo's addition as the uh, accidentally unhelpful janitor was such a weird that really yanked me out of the film i quite liked it because it really hammers home the ethos of this film which mm. is that uh it it, it goes it really it hammers home the same ethos that the original film did which is that evil is evil incarnate and no amount of michael's mother coming to visit him in the insane asylum or danny treo showing him kindness for 20 straight years in the insane asylum is going to change the fact that this is a a boy that has been dehumanized by a system Mm. and was probably genuinely evil to begin with yeah Nothing will change the fact that evil is evil. Totally. And I mean, they show his uh, hospital room and it's just full of masks. And um, Mike gets out. And the first person, or the second person he kills is Danny Trejo, who begs begs him for his life, is saying stuff like, Michael, I've always shown you kindness. Please, please don't kill me. Why? And he gets fucking wild on you. There's this fantastic shot of uh, the toilet that, he's getting drowned in where you can see uh from the s bend or whatever it is danny trejo's face and blood just oozing out there are some very amazing cool shots in this film i thought there was some very awesome stylistic choices the the violence in this film is startling in a way it's that not house fun of th- violence it, it's- yeah in a way that house <laughs> of a thousand corpses was fun this is startlingly brutal mm. like for instance Michael turns up to that truck stop and yeah, um, yeah. the he attacks the trucker and he's hitting him so hard that the the actual cubicle of the toilet breaks and not in a like a action movie kind of way in no. a genuine metal smacking and bending under pressure kind of yeah, way. Yeah, it's 
very, very... It swaps the handy cam for all the violence. So yeah. it, it's almost this like scared onlooker kind of approach to the cinematography and those scenes. Totally. And I guess in regards to onlookers, what this film does once Michael has gotten out of jail, Michael does the classic Mike Myers thing of stalking the neighbourhood. Uh, what is really different about... Rob Zombie and John Carpenter's Michael Myers is that this is Michael Myers as a human being stalking, whilst the John Carpenter films kind of insinuate that maybe he's this supernatural force. There are these really, you know, the classic long shots of students walking home from school and Michael Myers is behind the tree peering. But uh, I don't know. I don't think they worked as well in this film. I think they really, I think once you realize Michael Myers is is being depicted as a human being it really for me it lost a lot of um the terror i think any time that uh rob zombie tries to ape john carpenter in this film is where the film falls flat absolutely any time that he tries to do his own spin on the film is where it soars totally totally um what happens from here once he gets out? I mean, he just kind of classic. It's the classic. It turns thing. into the classic Halloween plot. He returns back to Haddonfield, where he um, uh, goes back to his original childhood home. He puts on the mask and he comes. He comes after Laurie. That's right. So in the start, it's revealed that Laurie is it. Uh, I think they. When did they insinuate that Laurie was his half sister in the original movies? Was it number I think two? It's- I think it's two, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they've jumped ahead with this and straight away, after Michael's done killing as a little kid, he spares his sister. Um, his because, baby sister. His baby sister because that was the only family member who was nice to him because it was a fucking baby. Um, Michael wanting to come home. So Laurie has been adopted by the neighbours uh, who are just these kind of total squares, but they seem lovely enough. They you know, seem like the classic old couple who still probably get a bit freaky once the kids get out of the house. And Al is a square apologist. Not yeah. me. I got a hard line <laughs> against squares. You got to freak them out, man. <laughs> um, and they, do they live in the old Myers house? I couldn't figure that out either. I think or it's, it's two separate houses. But, yeah. Uh, it's really why he goes after Laurie. Yeah. And they get wild. They get dispatched very quickly. Um, oh, yeah. And then I guess from here, it's just the classic horny teens are fucking whilst the babysitters are supposed to be babysitting. Michael Myers shows up to a house and gets to the stabbing. And I think it's a, a, it's a fun little um, throwback to the original that... Uh, John Carpenter had the babysitters watching the thing from another world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, Rob Zombie has the same thing. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm also going to remake John Carpenter's The Thing, everybody. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I, Rob Zombie's also very... I really love when he cribs, like, public domain horror film footage to put into his film in, like, the background when people are watching TV. It's, it's always, like, a really nice touch, the, the cool pulpy black and white sci-fi movies being shown on tv um yeah this film you know there's the classic confrontation where people fall down the stairs or out windows uh and then much like every halloween film it ends with the mysterious uh well the the ending is is probably pretty interesting in that um 
Michael takes Laurie back to the house and presents her with a photograph of her as a child um, and himself to kind of, you know, try and get a chance to reconnect the faintest sliver of humanity that he has left. Mm. But Laurie is completely oblivious to any of her backstory and just proceeds to stab and shoot him. Mm. So when Michael finally goes down in a hail of gunfire and uh, Laurie's final scream rings out, it's not really a scream of relief. It's a scream of agony. Mm. Like she has no idea why this happened to her and why her life has been completely turned upside down. And it's more well done than any other slasher film has been able to do, I think. That final scene is evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I remembering it right? But it's kind of like a carry situation where at the end, a hand more or less... uh jumps no. out no. <laughs> <laughs> all righty well sean should we talk about the production let's talk about production al i want you to imagine something okay you've grown up your whole life idolizing horror films yes you base your entire persona around horror films oh, yes you change your name to alice the zombie all right now we're and talking. Then, yeah. <laughs> and the world's most evil man, Harvey Weinstein, asks you if you want to remake what is probably the ultimate slasher film of all time, Halloween. Do you sign on? Knowing what I know now or knowing what I knew then? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, if, if I'm getting the keys to, the, to a classic horror franchise, like, you know, I mean... At this point, Zombie was still Zombie. At this point, Rob Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> His friends call him Zombie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At this point, Rob Zombie was, uh, I guess, like, The Devil's Reject was a bit of a surprise sleeper hit, as much as House of a Thousand Corpses was. Yeah, I mean, at this, this was his, uh, I guess, kind of chance to take his craft into the mainstream. Uh, you know, the Weinstein Company at this point, Miramax as well, were you know, big financial backers of very successful projects. In that year, they released or produced, you know, There Will Be Blood. Uh, I think, did Death Proof come out that year or maybe the year before? Like, a uh, year before. They really were like on a fucking tear at this point. And, you know, Halloween was after the kind of, I guess, big financial success that these horror reboots were having. Uh, Halloween just kind of seemed, doing Halloween seemed like a foregone conclusion. What was kind of interesting about this as well is, uh, you know, once Zombie gave it, you know, he had his apprehension because he was such a huge Carpenter fan. He really didn't want to step on Carpenter's toes. So he met with Carpenter to see if Carpenter would give him his blessing. And from what I could tell, Carpenter did give his blessing. He uh, told him, as long as you make it your own film, man. Which is crazy because that in- ended up being Carpenter's criticism <laughs> of... <laughs> I got a good two clips here I want to drop in of uh, the perspective of Rob Zombie of the same incident and the perspective of John Carpenter of the same sure. incident. Have you heard anything from John Carpenter? Um, not, No, not yet. I mean, um, John hasn't seen it yet. You know, I was tried to show it to him like last week, but he was going out of town. So I don't know if he'll even get to see it before the premiere. So I don't know what anyone, in, you know, thinks yet. I mean, what you asked me about uh, Rob Zombie's. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I would say nice things about him, but you know, we did this. Uh, 
I thought it was, it was going to be a real cool deal for the, the History Channel, the Biography Channel, whatever that is. They, they were going to do about Halloween. I thought, ooh, that's pretty cool. Until I noticed that they did one on Caddyshack. And I thought, wow, what is this? Anyway, they interviewed him on that, on that biography and channel, and he lied about me. He said I was very cold to him when he told me I was going to, and that he was going to make it. Nothing could be further from the truth. I said, make it your own movie, man. You know, this is yours now. Don't worry about me. I was incredibly supportive. Why that piece of shit lied, I don't know. <laughs> he had no reason to. Why did he do it? So I guess maybe it'd be a good point to talk about the uh, Mustafa Akkad and the Akkad family stuff with this film as well. So I can't remember which film the Akkads got the rights to the Halloween franchise from. But from they call it the house a cad built. I call it a caddy shack. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> or maybe were they the financial backers from the start? The Akkad family? they were, yeah, yeah. and they've so, retained the rights to it this whole yeah. time. Uh, Mustafa Akkad was this Syrian American filmmaker. Uh, he he kind of became interested in the filmmaking industry after meeting Samuel Peckinpah whilst doing his master's degree at. Uh, UCS, University of Southern California. Before he produced the Halloween films, Mustafa Akkad produced two Islamic epics about uh, one, I think, was a like, you know, around this time there was the greatest story ever told, John Huston's adaptation of the Bible. And I think he was kind of going for a similar thing with uh, the, the Quran. And after that, there was another film he did. It was like a war epic. I can't remember what it was called, but it was kind of about the French, uh, the Lion of the Desert, about the Italia, the the Libyan tribal leaders overcoming the uh, the uh, the colonizers of Syria, um, and then from that point, he, he just made Halloween movies. Like it's such <laughs> a bizarre, like tilt, like complete change of um, of uh, tact. Mustafa Akkad was a big believer of that um, cinema especially, you know, Western cinema could be used as a tool for bridging gaps between cultures and was really interested in creating horror films for American markets as a Syrian-American because, you know, uh, as I said, like, he really thought it would be a cool opportunity for people to understand that Muslim, devout Muslim people are not necessarily zealots. They can also be people who enjoy Western media and want to make Western media. And but It's the same kind of attitude that was espoused by the Globus brothers, Hiram Globus and the Canon um, mm. Productions, who mm. were of very much of a similar kind of a, a, attitude and aesthetic and production style to the Cad family. Absolutely. Um, this is the first Halloween film that Mustafa Cad didn't, produce he tragically died in a hotel bombing in libya uh maybe two years 2005 yeah yeah, yeah the Amman bombings that's right yeah in a hotel lobby um quite tragic i suppose like uh his son from this point on malek Akkad, took the reins i in my head i imagined he was like this rich fail son but from like everything i've read about him he looks like a just a decent dude who inherited the rights <laughs> to a horror film. But um, after kind of like the flops of Resurrection and H2O, uh, Malik was really kind of eager to maybe 
take the franchise into a new generation um, and partnered with the Weinstein brothers to really give the film the edge it needed for this decade uh, from a younger person's perspective. He would have probably been in his 30s at this point. Um, And I think they kind of really got the tone right with the gritty reboot. It's not an easy... It's certainly a gritty reboot. Yeah. This is so far and away removed from any of those Platinum Dunes remakes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and um, Friday the 13th that really just like kind of filed off the grimy edges and gave everything kind of like a, a early 2000s Paris Hilton sheen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this film really, I think I think we touched on it, but um, John Carpenter did not like it at all and was has been quite, I think, I don't know, I'd Quite say it's vocal. a major reason why he signed on to the Blumhouse 2018 mm. version because he wanted a chance to get back under the reins. Mm. And I understand this- his criticism where he says they just, you know, Michael is supposed to be this unexplained evil. We're not supposed to really have this deep character study of him. That's not the point of the character. The point of the character is that this unstoppable, unknowable evil is personified in a man who's in your neighborhood <laughs> uh, rather than this guy has a pathological bent on why he's evil. Um, and I kind of agree with that criticism, but like when you also consider that allegedly he told Rob Zombie to make it his own thing, like it's kind of weird, right? Like it seems kind of weird. Uh, looking a gift horse in the mouth almost. This film, however, it was made on like a shoestring budget and it, fucking raked in it made nearly like i think it made 90 million on a 15 million dollar budget so you know that's a fucking what your budget times eight or something i'm really bad at math so (laughs) would this be the last new metal success for a film i don't think i think the we've covered ghost rider in the past and Mm. that was in no ways a successful film i think due to my nearly 20 years of habitually smoking marijuana i'm unable to short term remember what the most recent movie we've done is uh, <laughs> in regards to new metal cinema but i would say that at this point death metal cinema was uh, probably in its death throes like i think this was maybe one of the last hurrahs um, i think wanted is definitely the last hurrah yeah 2008 yeah i'd yeah. say yeah totally man um i mean even the underworld and resident evil movies kind of stopped being really new metally and went for that weird metal core aesthetic uh um but yeah i mean production of this film as i said it made a shitloads of money let's talk soundtrack <laughs> So soundtrack for this film is by uh, a man by the name of Tyler Bates, who no relation to our beautiful Batesy, but he uh, is really well known throughout action cinema as the composer for all of the, um, oh, sorry, all of the Zack Schneider films mm. and the John Wick franchise. So he he really uh, he also did the Guardians of the Galaxy and James Gunn's films. Yeah. So he really like knows his way around like scoring these kind of like heavy metal influenced films. Totally. Uh, he became like uh, 
Marilyn Manson's kind of musical muse and, and that in that last run of uncancelled Marilyn Manson albums too, yeah. where Manson went full blues rock tilt and uh yeah. Um Tyler and, Bates was kind of the producer and co songwriter, lead mm, guitarist to that era. Yeah. And, and Tyler Bates as a music supervisor is like really good. There's no new metal on this soundtrack, but it is like this cool playlist constantly of fucking great classic rock jams. There's film starts with a kiss song. There's Blue Oyster Cult, Don't Fear the Reaper at least three times. <laughs> Love Hurts. Plays. Yeah, yeah. And my personal favorite, uh, we get at the truck stop, we get Rush's Tom Sawyer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Al, uh, are you familiar with a little band by the name of Deadsy? Seems like a familiar name. I feel like you might have talked about Deadsy at one point. So Deadsy uh, flirted with their biggest hit being a cover of Tom Sawyer by Rush, (laughs) but we're a new metal band that was led by uh, lead singer Elijah Blue Ullman, who is the son right. of Cher and one of the Ullman brothers, <laughs> Greg Ullman. Such, <laughs> such rich new metal heritage. <laughs> A modern day warrior, mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. I, I like the soundtrack to it. There's like this re rearranged um, new arrangement of the Halloween theme that I thought was pretty piss weak, to be entirely honest. Uh, yeah, especially comparing it to, we didn't really touch on it, but John Carpenter did the score for Halloween and Halloween Kills. Mm. And that score is ripping. John Carpenter is still so good at music. Yeah, yeah. He, mm. he really, I think he just his understanding of like intervals and how like using semitones and shit it's just like oh yeah you understand that like i don't know there's just something he he understands like the the appeal of the classic synthesizer without going into analog fetishism yeah absolutely and i mean i know he is kind of he's big into analog synthesizers but it's never on the nose because you can tell when people have put it into simpler or some kind of uh you know chucked it in ableton or yeah something yeah like totally that. and that's fine whatever but um yeah i found the arrangement of the halloween theme to be really lame in this one too orchestral and mm. uh too too real instrumenty um should we go to the bodies at the floor score of course let's hit it the bodies at the floor score the bodies at the floor score uh al i'll let you kick off the bodies hit the floor score with this one okay um i I will give it a three i enjoyed it on rewatch uh i think my main criticism is kind of similar to john carpenter's i think once we see michael as not a monster but rather this big beefcake uh with long slipknot hair for most of the movie uh it kind of lost the terror for me. I also think there are some really weird shots that go for too long. Like all the Michael Myers stalking stuff, it, it 
it's really just blatant instead of the classic, you know, people walking down the street and all of a sudden you see him in a reflection or hiding behind a hedge. Instead, he's literally just standing behind people, maybe five meters behind them. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think Malcolm McDowell in this film is so good. Like he, it's it's such a fun performance. It's such inspired casting, and and and, and he really carries a lot of the film. Not to say that the film needs carrying, but like. He is like the humanity of this film. He's aside from Michael, the most fleshed out character, uh, and he's just manic. Like I think he matches Donald Pleasance's maniacal, uh, evil scientist, but kind of, kind of just does it in this way where it it isn't like uh, Vincent Pricey. Like he's alive, he's alive. It's more like this. Like we gotta get him. He's. I don't know. I thought it was a really cool performance. What about Malcolm you, Sean? Mc- Malcolm McDowell doesn't have to act anymore. Like he's no. brought in uh, to play certain roles, and he knows what he's doing. Like it must be so comfortable being him. Just that classic British, uh, that classic kind of character actor who you're hired to just play one thing. He he really plays a posh British sod very well. And his hairpiece inspired. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to give this one three and a half bodies hitting the floor. Like, yeah, uh, cool. I think that this movie is grimy. It's cold chamber. It's mud vein, mm. but it's got a lot like underneath the surface that like occasionally rises to the, 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 mm. the top. And when it does, it soars. Like this is by no means like a, a comfortable weeknight watch. No. It's, uh, but when it soars, it soars. I think this is a, a good little movie. Yeah, totally. Totally. I think it's big. My biggest criticism is that sometimes it's boring. But I mean, contrasted against Halloween Kills, this film's most boring moments saw fucking so high above the, the best moments of Halloween Kills. Uh, yeah, man. I think three and a half is a pretty good, decent rating. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which brings us to taking out this, and I think that um, I think we can agree, Al, that we we need to go out on the classic. Like the we have to go out on the classic score to the best Michael Myers film. You can follow us at Take a Look Around Pod on Instagram. Pod on Twitter. We're still, we still have maybe what three Event Horizon shirts. So if you want them, you, you, the doors you got them, guys. <laughs> the airlock is closing. You'll get sucked out. Thanks so much for tuning in uh, for the spooky, the spookiest time of the year. Have a scary Tuesday, the twenty sixth of October. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye.